you guys. Welcome to this episode of Girl Talking Mass. I'm here with Ruby. Hi, everybody. Hi, you guys. We are really excited to bring you this podcast episode. We have been talking about doing a true crime episode for a while now. Yes, and it's, <laughs> it's I was like, yes, Marissa, we have to do yes. it. <laughs> and we want you guys to know, like, the reason behind we wanted to do this, and it wasn't like, I didn't want to do it exactly like, I know there's a lot of true crime podcasts out there, and they're awesome, and they, you know, share a whole, uh-huh. you know, beginning to end story of, of a, you know, like a of the true, actual crime. Oh, yeah, of the actual crime. Um, But we wanted to kind of go like a little step further and, you know, because we do interviews and we interview, you know, all kinds of people and all kinds of women that have gone through many different things. And um, we still wanted to keep that part of it for our podcast. So we reached out to people that actually went through um, the trauma of a true crime. And I mean, you kind of like, I mean, Ruby, you know, after, you know, listening to to Melissa's interview that Melissa Moore, you guys, Melissa Moore is our our guest today. And Ruby and I were both just like really taken back from hearing her story because it's just so, so deep. It is. It's very, very deep. And um, you guys are going to enjoy it. Yeah. And just to give you guys a little background, you know, we're going to jump right into the interview, but I just wanted Uh to give you a little background about her. So Melissa Moore is an Emmy-nominated crime correspondent with Dr. Oz. She also was an executive producer and host of um, Lifetime Network's Monster in My Family. So her personal trauma story is that her father was a serial killer. So you can just imagine her as a child going through this and eventually learning this about her father. And she, you know, she, I'm not going to, we're not going to spoil a lot of it for you guys, but she goes into kind of how she found out and, and growing up in this, Uh you know, with this, with this happening in the middle of her, of her, you know, teenage years, but he was known as the happy face killer. And Uh I, I wanted to, I I wanted to look at, look up and see why they called him that. And yeah, because that's such an interesting name, right? Like yes, happy face killer. Exactly. Like how do you like, put well, happy yeah, with like, like killer? You exactly. know exactly. And so what I found out was, and it's and it's really interesting, you know, when when she when you hear her talk about you know her dad and the way he was. Uh huh. Um, the first person that he apparently murdered, um, there was another couple that said they did it, and they didn't uh-huh. obviously because he had did it. But in the reports, and they actually even try to turn themselves in at some point to say, like, it was them. So the media, uh-huh. the media was saying, oh, these other two people killed this person, the first person that he killed. And um, he, it made him upset. So what he did was he was a truck driver. And what he did is he stopped and inside of a bathroom stall, he wrote details about the murder that nobody else would know. And he signed it uh-huh. with a happy face. And yes. even and even after that, they still didn't like kind of believe. They just thought it was like a joke that somebody stopped and wrote that. So at that point, he started sending letters to like the local newspaper, um, with details <gasps> of of the murder that that happened, and you know signing it with a happy face. So that's why the media dubbed him as the happy face killer. So oh, that just gives me the chills. I just know. To, like, think about it. That's, oh my god. But you know, we really appreciate melissa for joining us um on this episode you guys we're gonna jump right into the episode so you can kind of hear her story and and everything behind it but you know it it takes a lot to 
get through the steps of trying to overcome some like something like this to even begin uh-huh. to try to you know overcome something like this overcome and, yeah. yeah and like ruby and i were talking about it and i was just like saying i don't know if it's something that somebody can ever really truly overcome you know it's probably something that always yeah, kind of haunts no. you so you know we just really wanted to bring this story to you guys to kind of help because we don't know who's out there that might be going through right. something like this that might have somebody uh-huh. in their family that did something horrible and you don't know how to feel and you don't know how to act or you don't know if you want to share your story or, yeah. or anything like that so you know what Melissa shares will truly help you if if you were ever in this situation and aside from that just hearing her and what she's gone through is also inspiring to hear so yes it definitely is because you can um, kind of see that you know, no matter what situation you've been placed in, um, because obviously she was placed in a situation she didn't choose to be there, you know, um, you can overcome it. And, you know, like you said, you know, her story is inspiring just by simply her being able to have the courage to come out and and speak about it, you know. So you guys will hear more about it. So we don't want to spoil it. (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. So here's our interview with Melissa Moore. Melissa, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, yeah. We are super excited to talk to you and um, mostly to share your story of strength. Um, You know, we focus on highlighting stories of empowerment. And sometimes those stories come from like a, you know, difficult and dark place um, for some people. So I truly appreciate you, you know, sharing your story um, and your journey with our listeners because I know um, sometimes how hard that could be. Well, thankfully, it's gotten easier over the years. I know when I first came out uh, with my past and my background back in 2008, it was absolutely terrifying. So now it's been, you know, quite a while. So I feel more comfortable sharing my story. But Mm -hmm. definitely at the beginning, I was absolutely terrified. Yeah, yeah, I can only imagine. And, um, you know, we wanted to share stories of empowerment that are kind of associated with true crime um, just to show that it's possible to grow from even these situations that you guys are put in, obviously not by choice. And uh, you've expressed how your work, the work that you do was born out of frustration and hope. So we kind of just want you to share just a little bit about your story and, and how, you know, the, the true crime has affected your life, how, the, how this, this has affected you. Yeah. The frustration and hope, um, to go back to what you said, uh, for me, was aboard the perpetrator's family. When you go through this high-profile crime case or any, you know, I speak with a lot of different people who have been thrown into a media circus, it, it's really disempowering because sometimes the microphone gets taken away from the victims mm-hmm. and put into a new narrative, and they can't control it. Right. So here they are... Uh, here they are going through a horrible ordeal, and then on top of it, they're being exploited, and they're not able to share their story in a safe way. And yes. so, basically, that's why I work in TV now. Is back in 1995, when my father was arrested for serial murder, the media took it and and you know dubbed him the happy face serial killer, and they they. They focused on him and the salacious details of the, the crime, mm-hmm. and I understand that's the fascination for, right. for you know, the, some of the public. But um, for us, it was like, you know, it was well, first life. of all, everybody thought, yeah, I'm like first of all, everybody thought like we knew something. Right. And we lived. I lived with this man. He's my father. I must have known. 
and so there's that element, but also the media, their focus, and then it's more about how did we know, uh, you know, that's kind of what they ran with it. So right. we didn't obviously know anything. If we did, we would have done something about it. The fact he was captured by my uncle submitting a letter, the confession letter that he wrote to my uncle, he turned into the cop. So I only have admiration for my uncle for doing a very difficult thing, which is turning in his own brother. Oh, wow. So, so yeah, so your story, I mean, just to give our listeners a little backtrack, um, your, your dad uh, was a serial killer who murdered eight, women. eight yeah. different women. Yeah. And, and you're right. You don't know what you obviously didn't know that was happening. Um, no. Under your own no. nose. But- and I was having summer, you know, I was spending summer vacations with my dad. So my parents were divorced. So in 1990, mm-hmm. my dad, um, I was 10 at the time, and my my dad came home and told my mom that he wanted a divorce. He had a girlfriend that was living in California. My mom took, um, I'm the oldest of three, she took us three kids up to Spokane, Washington to live with my grandmother um her mom and we lived in the basement that summer and then it ended up being a permanent situation when my dad dropped all of our stuff off and then the divorce pursued you know Mm -hmm. came to a conclusion and then um my dad would come and visit and give us you know food and pay child support like the normal divorce family situation but it became quickly abnormal um probably about when i was age 12 we would go to the Oregon coast. My dad had lots of friends on the coast. And um, so he'd pick us up and take us to the coast. And along the way, he would say really odd things, weird things, like I know how to kill someone and get away with it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm young, I'm a preteen, or and so I'm thinking, like, my dad is weird. And yeah. why is he saying this? Obviously, right. when he's playing, he's not really doing that. You know, that's yeah, what you're not even is. thinking that. You're not even... That's no, no, not at all. And further along, say, also little tiny details that went along with it. Like, I would cut off the buttons, uh, you know, the fly of her jeans so that my fingerprints went down the buttons. Um, oh I would gosh. wear my cycling shoes so they don't have a skull print. And he gave all these details of how he would commit this perfect murder and and for me how I put it together how like I wrapped it around in my mind was that when I first got into the car to go on this um trip with my dad he had detective magazines and I've seen a couple still to this day where there's these little like tabloid um looking new uh little magazines Mm -hmm. and inside are just their crime stories and this is before Google is really ahead or any of these. Well, the true crime, I think, back then that I would watch with my dad, actually, is it was um, Unsolved Mysteries. Yes. So that was our, that was our true crime. So, um, So did you kind of just think, like, maybe he's just kind of, like, interested in true crime or interested in... Yeah, I thought he's just regurgitating the story he must have just read and that's what's going on here. And, And, but he's, but he's telling the story in first person. So I, I I thought that was odd. I started to have really um, bad feelings around my dad, like this intuition that was telling me something's wrong. And, and I go over it in the Happy Face podcast. Mm-hmm. I should kind of tell you a little bit, too. Um, this last summer was just, when was it? The summer before, sorry. The summer before, 
um, this last summer, I went on this journey to go over my father's crimes, but not through his narrative, but right. through the people that actually worked on the case and the people who were close to the case. Mm-hmm. Because what I have found about narcissists and psychopaths is that they they work the truth with their own grandioseness, you know, their own, they, they, they change the story to fit their propaganda. Like yes. they're, what they want the public to know, they tweak it and they, they put it out the way that they're somehow the hero or the strongest one or the superior one. Whatever, you know, whatever, yeah. but um, but I started to question the truth factor of some of the things my father said, and so I went on this journey and ended up being a really cathartic and amazing journey. Um, There's a point in time where I met Don Finley, which is the son of his last victim, my dad's last victim, Julie Whittingham. Um, he and Don ended up facing my dad in court. My dad actually turned around and winked at him. It, oh I, I don't God. know how he didn't fly off and yeah. like sucker punch my dad in the face, you know. Yeah. So, uh, but there's an episode on that in the podcast. Um, we have you know limited time now, me and you talking. But if somebody wants to listen to that, they can. Yeah, um, definitely. But it was a, but yeah, it was a, it was an incredible journey. But I didn't expect in the middle of it of um, working on that to be going through a divorce, too. Mm-hmm. So what I found in, in adversity is just that back in the day when my dad was arrested and now going through a divorce, you just have to go moment by moment, day by day, and there's just somehow you find that it changes you as a person. Sometimes I would say stronger and for the better. And I'm not saying and I'm, I'm not saying that I I'm glad that my dad committed these murders. I'm, but I'm saying like I feel like out of it all, I've grown as a person, yeah. and and um, I'm I'm proud of what I've been able to contribute back to the world. Yeah, through through going through this, and just just to kind of wrap up that part of your story. Um, your did he? You said he eventually confessed, or did was he? How did he eventually like get caught? And have you ever had any contact with him after that? Yeah. So he was. So my father sent this confession letter to my uncle, and he's on the road. He's a long haul truck driver, so he was able to go state to state. And so if people aren't familiar with how crime cases are, are worked. They're through jurisdiction, they're through yes. counties, they're through states. And mm-hmm. so there's not like this combined um, infrastructure of all the states communicating with each other, especially back then. It, and was, he, was he doing these all in different places too? Yeah, that's how he's able to operate. Uh, we know of for five years. So he picked mm-hmm. up a victim in Washington state and then uh, kill her and dispose of her body in Wyoming you know, in another state. And so just the communication of tracking the victims, and most of his victims were transient in nature, too. They were hitchhiking. They were going across the state, and, oh. and some of them weren't really tied to their family members. So it was, um, you know, that's how he was able to get away with it for so long. But it was actually the, his, his final victim who who he said was his fiance, Julie Winningham, and you know now I question if they truly were engaged. Mm-hmm. It does, I guess it doesn't really matter. But Julie, she, you know, had children. Um, 
she was close to her mom, and the the thing that caught him was that he signed a signature on for a car for a car purchase with her. And so when she went missing, the mom, Julie's mom said, you know, well, she was with this big guy and they just purchased a car and that's how they, they tracked down my dad. Oh, wow. So then he eventually, that's when he eventually was going to write his letter that he was writing to his brother. Yeah. So he knew the police were on him. He Mm -hmm. actually, yeah, he actually thought that the police had more, um, abilities of tracking than what they actually had. So mm-hmm. there was a little bit of paranoia. So he felt like they were just, you know, up, up around any corner. Mm-hmm. So he was he was traveling and, and knew that he was a wanted man. And so he wrote that letter to to my uncle. He tried to commit suicide um, mm-hmm. and was unsuccessful. So that's why he sent the letter. is because he thought he would be dead by that point. Oh, okay. So he wasn't really turning himself in. He was just going to try to take himself out. Correct. Wow. And you haven't had any contact with him anymore ever since that happened? Uh, the last communication I've had with him was in 2005. Mm-hmm. And I, I was curious of why he committed these these crimes. Why he, you know, why? Why did he do this? Yeah. And um, I was, you know, younger Still not understanding the mind of a psychopath, I thought that they have some capacity to be humane and human, mm-hmm. but but they're really compartmentalized, and they have the most bizarre code of ethics that they run by mm-hmm. that really only makes sense to them. Um, so, like, for example, and I know there was a serial killer that I interviewed, and he would kill women, but he was a vegetarian. He wouldn't eat meat because of the brutality against animals. But that didn't... That makes no sense. Yeah. So it's just... Oh, wow. That was strange. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also have found, um, what's interesting to me about the public is that when people find out about my father abusing animals and torturing animals in front of me and my siblings, Mm-hmm. They seem to have more of a visceral reaction to that than to the murders of the women. Wow. So that's been kind of surprising coming mm-hmm. forward with my story. I would say that's an element that's been interesting. Yeah, that does seem. But you're right. Like that. Like that. Had, like their priorities are probably not even anywhere sensible to the like the the you know regular mind of what how they right. think. You know, they're just not. They're just not right. But um, right. So I want to move on to like the, um, you know, the inspirational part of you sharing your story. And um, you've done that through your book, Whole, um, which is a guide to self-repair. And then you also offer your course um, where you can help people write and sell their nonfiction story. So tell me a little bit more about that, because if we have listeners that have a personal story that they want to tell about, you know, about them, explain us a little bit more on how, how that can be done and, and what you go through in this course with them. Sure. So when I first started writing, well, actually, going back, when I was going through all of this with my dad, mm-hmm. I kept journals. Oh, and okay. Yeah, I journaled all the time, and it was so healing for me, um, just being able to have a place to put it in words, and sometimes I could reread it, and it would make sense, because sometimes... Well, especially when you're younger, or maybe even now for some people, it's hard to articulate, like, what am I really experiencing? Is this 
fear or is this, um, yeah. you know, you know, what, are, what am I feeling? Is Where this depression? Is yeah. it sadness? Like to, to actually put a label to what you're feeling. Um, and then also with my father, he was, he was gaslight. And for people who don't know what gaslighting is, it's spinning the, whatever you say, they spin it back and blame and blame you for it. So oh, like wow. with my dad, I would constantly gaslight. And so it makes you doubt yourself. It makes you think that you're crazy. Mm-hmm. And so writing things out, especially for people who are in abusive relationships, but they can write it, they'll start to see a pattern and they'll start to say like, this doesn't, this doesn't really make sense. Mm-hmm. You know, like this is, you know, when you reread it, but anyway, so, um, I found it to be really therapeutic for me. And then also when I came forward with my story, a lot of people said me too. Like mm-hmm. I, they, I've gone through this, and that's why the Me Too movement is actually a really big thing is because, wow, you know, when you come forward with your story, you validate other people who have gone through a similar experience. And so sharing my story really was helpful for me in the sense that other people came forward to me saying, I, I, I understand and you're not alone. Yeah. Um, and, and I so read a lot I of want... your, I read a lot of your messages in your Facebook posts, um, that you guys that, you know, she has a Facebook page, you guys, um, Melissa Moore. Um, and, uh, a lot of people have responded like, Oh my gosh, like they're, they're going through the exact same, like even like your similar situation or have people in their families that have done something horrific and they don't know how to, how to deal. Yeah, absolutely. And so there's some people who have gone through either crime or molestation or, which is a crime, you know, Mm -hmm. sexual abuse and, or something traumatic and they need an outlet to share that and to also connect with other survivors. And so what they want to do is share their story. And so that's why I created this program is just to make it accessible for people who want to share their story, how to do it in a really easy and um, convenient way to do it. Yeah, yeah. Because it doesn't have to be a long, arduous process. You don't have to, you know, take a year off from work to write a book. It can be done. You know, it can be done very fast. I'm actually working on my third book right now. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, and I and as if you watch my or if you follow my page, you see that I'm doing home improvement projects. Yes. I've invested in like 13 homes that purchased and flipped, and I work for the Doctor Oz Show. Yes. Um, they're true crime correspondent. So like this, and I'm a mom of, of a daughter in college and uh, a teenage son. So I, if I can do it, yes, then anybody can do <laughs> anybody it. Anybody can do it. Yeah. No, yeah. you're amazing, and and I like I said, I I truly love following you, and and I found you through the Doctor Oz Show actually um but back to, to go into your your crime correspondent role that you that you are um working with dr oz on i'm sure you've learned so much and and on how these crimes are kind of solved and a lot about the characters like you kind of like how you know a lot about the characters that do these crimes um what are some of the examples or things that like stand out to you like when you do, when you are doing this research for the show or or you're you know looking at like crimes that are happening right now like i know there's a lot of crimes and some high profile cases that are, are highlighted right now um, that, you know, I'm following too. And, and I like to watch your feedback just to hear what you have to say, but what are some of the, you know, things that are thoughts or outcomes that you have, when you look at some of these cases that you kind of recognize, or maybe that stand out to you that you notice that you think something's not right? Yeah, lately there's been a lot of small love triangles where there's a, um, a spouse that's cheating. And then in the, uh, Kelsey Barris case, I don't know if you're following yes, that one, where that one. Uh, mm-hmm. where 
her fiance Patrick um, allegedly came to her home, mm-hmm. assaulted her, killed her, uh, and then he had his mistress from Idaho come and help clean up the crime scene. And so that that one is actually parallel to the uh, Jennifer Dulo's case, yes, which is the uh, Dulo's case. I've where been following he, you guys that. yeah, where he had a mistress and was cheating on his wife, and she came out missing as well, and. Um, and he's living in their marital home with the mistress, and and Jennifer Dulles' mom is paying the mortgage on that house, and she's a mother of five kids. But it seems to be that these perpetrators are claiming that they're Gone Girl, you know, that like that like that movie that they just up and leave their life. So they're just saying like, oh, I don't know what happened mom. to her; she just disappeared. Yeah. Scott Peterson did the same thing. Yes, and oh my so, gosh, yeah. So here's a pattern there, but for a warning sign. I think the biggest warning sign that I have seen, which is across the board and before even a homicide, is the fact that of domestic abuse. Yeah. There's either verbal abuse or physical abuse or both. And I find that there's a pattern in the relationship that's toxic. And sometimes the victims don't understand or mm-hmm. they're trapped in that relationship. Mm-hmm. So for like an emotionally abusive relationship, what will happen is that they'll meet someone, this, this, this great guy, and he'll be charming. And then he, it, it's the pace at which they start dating is, is alarming. So the pace, you know how there's a natural pacing to a relationship. You go on a date, you take a breather a couple of days, maybe, and then you maybe make plans to go on another date. And it moves at a steady and consistent pace as your relationship's progressing. But with a toxic relationships, the first sign is when the, the partner wants to make that, that pacing more extreme and fast. So you oh, might, okay. um, so like you might go on a date one day and within three days they're saying, I love you. Or they're, um, they're constantly texting you and, and trying to move the relationship where you end up not even seeing anybody else because you're so wrapped up in that person. And it's so subtle too, because what they'll do is that, um, they're so charming and they, it's called love bombing where mm. they just drop tons of affection and they learn quickly what those signs of affection are for you so like for me I like gifts and so that would be you know the love language that would speak to me so if somebody right. started dropping you know amazing gifts and, and going out to dinner that would be like that would be a whirlwind romance yeah. you know that would be alluring but that's the love bombing stage the second stage is called devaluation and what they do with that is they start to put you down and like the relationship takes a turn that's when the gaslighting happens that's when they start to make you feel crazy um you walk on tippy on your tippy toes to avoid certain topics because you know that angers them or i mean there's so many different parts of the devaluation that go into play here but then the third stage is the discard and so a discard would be if they give you the silent treatment um first of all at any if any of the listeners right now are getting a silent treatment, take that as a huge red flag. Not that they're a psychopath, but the fact that stonewalling and silent treatment is absolutely a huge red flag in the relationship. It's unhealthy. Mm-hmm. When there's conflict, you have to be able to talk it out. Um, and it's a manipulation tactic for master manipulators to c- get you to comply 
So they want to shame you. They want to make you feel bad for being angry with them, so they'll give you the silent treatment. Or they won't talk to you or they go no contact in that they want to drive you back to saying you're sorry and come back to them. And so this just oh, goes wow. on repeat. It's a big cycle. You know, this is, yeah, it just keeps this a cycle. It goes on repeat. And I know for domestic violence they talk about, you know, honeymoon stage and they use other terms. But that is what I found to be a consistent pattern for every crime case that I've worked on. There is always an element of control because murder is about power and control. Yeah. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Thank you for sharing that. So I have one last question um, that I kind of want to talk to you about. So, um, so you're being a survivor of, of true crime, and like I said, you're working working on with so many others on on their stories. I just can't imagine like the fear and guilt and the negative feelings that somebody goes through, and I'm sure you've gone through through your share of this, and especially like you said in the beginning. But when you wrote um your book Whole. One of your quotes is, um, denying your personal pain won't lessen other suffering. Denying your personal pain will only increase it. So how has sharing your personal pain helped you and others through this? So for me, it goes back to that me too. Mm-hmm. And I think when we share, we lessen that poison, you know, that, that grip it has on us because shame is so powerful yeah. and makes you feel like you're alone. It makes you feel not worthy. It makes you feel like you're somehow isolated from the rest of the world. And so coming forward with your story is powerful because you might not have the same story. Like not a lot of people have the same story as me, but I know a lot of people understand shame and guilt and and wanting, you know, to hide away and, and for people not to know things that have happened to you, I, I understand that. Mm-hmm. And so coming forward is, is powerful in that. And I, I feel like when we, well, I know this. I know when we we are true to ourselves, we basically give it permission for other people to be true to themselves too. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Oh my gosh, Melissa, thank you so much for sharing all of this. Um, like I said, I really wanted to just show you, you have, you're an inspiration and I've, like I said, I've been oh, following, following and watching you for, for a while now. And, and when I thought about doing these, um, these interviews, I, you were definitely one of the people that I wanted to reach out to. And I just really, really grateful that you, you know, answered my email and, and took the time um, to talk to me today and, and share your story and just share how, how people can get past something so horrific and so awful and um i'm really going to urge people to listen to your happy face pod um podcast the happy face pod um and also your book shattered silence where you where you tell the story the untold story of of a serial killer's daughter because it's amazing and um you just you're just really making good with with everything that you're doing and i think you're you're amazing so i appreciate that thank you thank you i appreciate you having me on and and hopefully, you know, someone who's listening right now, if this is if they're going through a difficult time in their life, I, I just want to be an encouragement to them to keep going and um, and to you know either write or share their story with people that are close to them, mm-hmm. and uh, it really will it will lessen the, it'll help lessen the pain a little bit. Yes, definitely. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank I you so your time much. Today. Yes, thank you so much. Wow, Marissa, what a story. Oh, my God. I know. And <sighs> it's just when you hear of the entire, you know, like the entire breakdown of of where she's, you know, where this started for her and, and how yeah. far she's come and, you know, the two books that she's written. I think that's the part that um, helped me understand 
you know, her story from this, right. you know, not so much uh-huh. her father's story, but her story. And her story was that writing her books, she helped herself heal, you know, in the process. Right. And then also uh-huh. reaching out to other people that are going through this. Um, I don't know if I told you, Ruby, but on her Facebook page, she has messages upon messages from people that are like, oh my gosh, you know, my father did uh-huh. something like this. My brother did something like this. And I don't know how to I don't know how to act or I don't know what to say or I don't know, you know, how to feel about it. Um, Uh And you guys, Melissa does have a book writing uh, course that you guys can take if you ever had some type of autobiographic, you know, story that you wanted to share. To share, yeah. She can definitely help you get that done. Um, And I think think her books are are a big part of, of her healing process. Yes, no, I definitely agree. You know, she also mentions that, you know, while she was going through this whole situation with her father, she was already journaling. Yes. So that alone, I mean, like, Mm -hmm. if you really think about, I know we constantly talk about putting our thoughts onto paper, and that alone can be a healing process. Like, hearing it from her was like an aha moment, like a, you know, yes, we need to journal our thoughts. You know, and another thing that really captured my attention was also when she mentioned about, you know, a lot of uh, the crimes also nowadays that are being, you know, presented out there, put out, you know, for us to watch. She mentions, you know, the love triangle. Yes. And, and it's so interesting because it's so common. I mean, it's happening a lot right uh, now. Yes, it is. It's happening a lot. And I've seen it in this show, um, Killer Couples. I don't mm-hmm. know if any of you have watched it, but it is amazing how much like goes into these murders and things like that. Like there's yeah. just so pre- so much premeditation that goes into this. And you don't realize that this is actually happening out there in the world. Yeah. And, you know, another thing that she talks about is these, like, red flags. Yes. You definitely. know, like, these red flags that we need to just kind of watch out for because it's out there, mm-hmm. you know. And, and, and the thing her, is, it's happening uh-huh. next door. It's happening down the street. It's happening around our uh-huh. corners. You know, it's in our neighborhoods. Like, these are all people that, you know, were that were around these people. Like, I mean, most, I think most, I think when, when you read a lot of these stories, mostly are people that they know are doing these things, you know? So, I mean, it's just like, you know, it could be anybody and it could be anywhere. So yeah. So the, everything that she shares, um, about like the characteristics of, of some of these people that, that she's learned. And this is her experience, you guys, cause you know, she is a correspondent, Uh a crime correspondent for Dr. Oz. Right. So she investigates and studies a lot of these, serial killers so she knows yeah and, and um and she their sees minds and you know yeah. how they think and things like that definitely so, yeah and you guys can go over to her podcast she has a podcast it's called happy face pod and it's on instagram and you guys can listen to her stories of of her you know about her story and about other stories that she shares so um, right. it's definitely a, a good podcast to, to tune into but we want to thank melissa for joining us um we know yes, thank it's, you it's melissa. always you know it's it's always a uh, you know very um hard to probably still talk about you know your story oh, no, for matter, sure. no matter what it is but you know yeah. she is an amazing person and like she said she if she is getting through and and constantly growing and learning and sharing uh-huh. 
and and helping others and I think like after all like what that's probably like the best thing she could do you know so yeah you know kudos to her for for you know getting getting past this and and working past it um every day yeah you know using her experience to uh give the voice to other people that may not have the courage to come out yep you know that's amazing Uh Well, thank you guys for listening to this episode. Don't, thank you. Yeah, don't forget, we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you guys can always listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and SoundCloud. So, SoundCloud. Yeah, yes. so make sure you guys are subscribed so you know when a podcast drops because a podcast drops at any moment and you guys will get the notification um, when it does. So thank you guys for all your support. Thank and for you. Listening, and we appreciate you guys. Bye.